everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime suspense and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service. You're in complete control of your own podcast. You can run it from your own website. And it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. Today, it's my pleasure to have with me an author who writes about a bohemian woman with a mission in Paris during the 1920s. Her protagonist is Kiki Button, and her latest novel is Autumn Leaves. Along with her fiction, she writes poetry and reviews. I'm pleased to introduce Tessa Lunny here today. Hi, Tessa. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, it's a pleasure. (laughs) Wonderful to have you on. Thank you for being here. And I loved your book, by the way. I still have to review it. I feel real bad about that, but it was a very (laughs) enjoyable book. Um, Tell us about Kiki Button and your series. Yeah, sure. So Kiki Button, the book is set in uh, the early 1920s in Paris. Uh, so the first book was April in Paris, 1921, and the second book is Autumn Leaves, 1922. Kiki Button is an Australian expat. She was a nurse in the Great War, but doesn't want to live in Australia anymore. She wants a life of greater freedom, adventure, uh, and fun, really. Uh, So she runs away back to Paris, which she had come to know during the war. Uh, In Paris, she meets up with the friends that she'd made during that time, friends from Australia, such as Maisie, who was another nurse, as well as friends from the British Army, such as Bertie. Uh, When she's in Paris, she works as a gossip columnist for a London magazine, reporting on all the fabulous celebrity and aristocratic goss that was going on in Paris at the time, but secretly she is also a very reluctant but very capable spy. She had been recruited during the war by her arch nemesis, the nefarious head surgeon, Dr. Fox. And Dr. Fox finds her again after the war. He's still working for the British government and he's gonna make sure that Kiki works for him. So that's who Kiki is. She's very uh, lively. Uh, vibrant uh, person who is also quite straightforward about 
the problems that she carries with her from the war and from what she did and how that affects her day-to-day -day life. Um, she's enormous fun to write. Uh, and sometimes I feel that she just writes herself like I can hear her speaking in my head. Um, That's wonderful. Especially her clothes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's good fun. Especially her clothes and her shoes and her parties. They, these are super, super great. So the series has two books in it at the moment. And the first one is when she arrives first back in Paris after deciding she wants to leave Australia. The second one is when she returns to Paris after being in Australia for a year after the death of her mother. So they're sort of different in tone. She's still the same vibrant woman, but the first one is, is just pure joy. And the second one um, is a little, is a little deeper, is a little deeper, a little heavier. Um, they're, they're, I, I think of them as in the sort of Paris book subgenre, if you know what I mean. Uh, so they're a, they're a sort of mystery spy thriller. I call them a sexy spy thriller set in the 1920s. Um, but there's also a lot of romance and there's also a lot of Paris in them. Even though she does go to London and she does go to Rome and she does go to other places, Paris is the, the city of her heart and the books really focus on it as a place as it might have been in the 1920s, especially in expat Montparnasse. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with the job you did describing the ambiance of Paris in the 1920s. How much research did that require? A lot, <laughs> a lot, but I did it, I did it out of pure joy. Uh, in 2008, I read a book called Among the Bohemians by Virginia Nicholson. Virginia Nicholson is Virginia Woolf's grandniece, Vanessa Bell's granddaughter. And her book, Among the Bohemians, Experiments in Living, 1900 to 1939. This book, actually, here we are for your YouTube people. Um, Love that cover. Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's beautiful. And um, what it is, is about bohemian life in England, particularly London, in the first part of the 20th century, but not, not the talking about these people's work, but talking about their life, how being bohemian was a whole of life exercise. And so the chapters are on money, food, clothes, how to bring up children, travel, parties. And I was really looking for a template for how to, not just how to write as a, as a skill, but how to create a life where writing could be at its heart, however successful or not that I was. And this was like a template, like a guide, like a Bible. It showed all these people in London, some I'd heard of like Virginia Woolf, but lots that just failed really in their artistic endeavors, but lived so gloriously and in the process of their living really contributed a lot to the way art was made and the way we thought about especially women and art and what women's work was. Uh, so this started my obsession with the 1920s. So even though it covers a much larger period, the 1920s was a real boom time after the war. And so I just went through her backlist and I, and I started reading her backlist and I read her book again and I read more of her backlist and I've read The Great Gatsby, of course. Oh, yeah. Maybe 10 times. This is my <laughs> very old copy. I really I refuse to read another 
edition, even though there are That's millions awesome. that I need this Look this picture. Of, I know George uh, Hoining and Huna, sorry, George Hoining and Huna. So the picture's from 1930, but it is beautiful. Um, and then I found a movable feast. Nice. Uh, anyway, and I read this multiple, I've read that one multiple times. So I, when I was writing the first one, I'd already been reading about the 1920s for about a decade. I'd done a, um, I'd completed a doctorate in war fiction as well. So when I was too tired to read about battles or war trauma, I'd read about the 1920s because I had so much post-war um, information, I guess. And it was, but it was a little bit lighter, a little bit more fun. So yeah, I'd been reading for about a decade. And then when I started writing, I just, I, I had a lot of information already. And then I just had to do very particular bits of research. There's a, in the, sorry, for the second one, I had to do more research, partly because I didn't know what was happening precisely in 1922, but also because I have attached the main plot point to something that's happening politically in Europe at that time. And it was quite an unstable time uh, after the war when the Austro-Hungarian Empire had collapsed, the German Empire had collapsed, the Russian Empire had ceased to exist and it was Bolshevik Russia uh, and a civil war, the tail end of the civil war. So I also had to do research around what was happening politically in Europe around then. And so I could tie that into the spy plot. Mm. But it was That's fascinating. Fun. I mean, so much fun to read about that time. So exciting. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. Um, was there anybody, anything in particular that inspired you to create this particular protagonist in this situation? Not one thing. It was lots of things. Lots of things. So I was, as I said, I completed a doctorate in war fiction, which had a basis in trauma theory. And I read a lot about war trauma. And after I completed that, I really wanted to write something a bit lighter, a bit more fun, not completely away from the war trauma idea, but away from the war. So that was one thing. Another thing was that I was pregnant when I wrote the first one and I was reading a lot of crime because I was pregnant and a lot of romance. And I wanted something that had a little less violence than in, in it than most crime because I was so you know pregnant and very sensitive to what was going on. Uh, and I wanted a really strong female protagonist because I knew I was having a girl and it was really making a difference to me, especially, you know, the dead girl is a strong idea in crime fiction, but it was really, I was finding it really difficult to deal with a lot of dead girls in book <laughs> after book after book after book. When I was, I was a woman giving birth to someone who was going to become a woman. I'm like, ah, so I, I did it. I did it partly for that. And partly because I wanted to live again in the 1920s. It's my fantasy holiday destination. Uh, but you read history, I read history after history and book after book. And it sort of felt like I was looking through the window at a party and I could see everyone having a great time, but I couldn't get in. But if I wrote myself into it, I could invite myself into the party. Uh, and it worked. It really worked. That and then so cool. there's so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. yeah, it was really, it's really fun. Um, and 
I, and there's so many, as when I started researching, there's so many really fun, great women who are, who are not as big names as the men, they're not as big as Picasso, but, or Man Ray, but Lee Miller is really great. And Nancy Cunard and Australian artist Stella Bowen and Catherine Mansfield, who's from New Zealand. So I also wanted to spend some time, spend some time with these women and create a, a woman who might talk to these women um, yeah, talk to these women in a, in a more uh, in a more intimate way. That's wonderful. I love strong female protagonists. So great, ah, me great too. stuff. Uh, yeah. Especially ones that go on on adventures like uh, yours has. Yeah, uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> what are your plans for the series? Do you have a certain number of books that you'd like to write? Um, yes, but as you no, with publishing, it's a very adventurous path. Um, <laughs> I would, I would. So the first one's nineteen twenty-one. The second one's nineteen twenty-two. If, if the ride continues, it would go through every year up to the end of the nineteen twenties. She would be based in Paris, exploring the political and cultural upheavals. Uh, of the time. So for example, in 1923 in Germany, there was a communist uprising at the same time the Nazis had the Beer Hall Putsch and tried to take over the Weimar Republic. So that's pretty exciting for spy work. And then for example, in 1925, Josephine Baker arrives in Paris and sets Paris ablaze with her review. And so that is a huge cultural moment of, of, reckoning um especially with france's you know african uh empire like the empire the french empire that in africa that still existed so there's a lot to do with that and then she'd take a break and then come back in the 30s to the beginning of the second world war and deal more specifically with the nazis and maybe britain's ties britain's britain's not britain's ties with nazi germany but the way that a lot of um a lot of powerful britons there was a there was a powerful minority of britons who had a lot of fascist leanings and to to deal with that so that would be that would be my plan for the series but it's really also to use her to explore uh bigger ideas from our contemporary world like how to be a modern woman how to create a life for oneself as a woman that's really um honest, especially in a framework that is maybe not very flexible. And as I was, as I was not very flexible in terms of what women were allowed to do and what they were expected to do. And even though we have much more flexibility now, I was surprised slash shocked how many of her questions were not that far from where I am now. In fact, the 1920s don't feel that far from where we are now, sometimes politically, sometimes yeah. culturally, uh, in terms of the, uh, in terms of of what women are expected and are allowed to do, legally, it's it feels a hundred miles away. Because certainly in France at that time, women didn't have the vote, and you know, that's not the case. You know, France that's not the case in France anymore, or Britain, Australia, America. You know, Australia had a, a a marriage bar for women working. If you got married, you weren't allowed to work. So obviously, that's there's so much has changed, uh, but there are sort of the fine grained details of of what it means to be 
a woman creating her own life that there's a lot of resonances a lot of resonances because she was a pioneer and that was when women were starting to look at those like really strongly look at those um issues uh, and then how that resonates a hundred years later mm. i think more and more we're seeing stories structured with women as active um narrative drivers than we have mm -hmm. in the past and i think that's a good thing me too absolutely i'm pouring myself a cup of tea all right <laughs> have a cup of <laughs> um which writers inspire you most i get a feeling i know but go ahead and tell us <laughs> and what um, do you read for pleasure uh, uh, i read a lot of spy thrillers set in paris <laughs> Um, imagine <laughs> imagine that i uh actually have quite i feel i have quite wide reading tastes so i i've shown you some of the books here hemingway fitzgerald among the bohemians um this one which as you can see it's got all my little notes in it paris between the wars art style and glamour in the crazy years by vincent bouvet and gerard durazoy uh that's a that's a non-fiction book with full of beautiful beautiful illustrations so what inspires me yeah i would say i have quite wide reading tastes uh i've read a lot of war fiction and my doctorate was actually on australian war fiction so i read a lot of australian fiction and continue to read a lot of literary fiction i read a lot of crime uh, but i particularly like historical crime so set in the first half of the 20th century and also crime writers from that time such as Simonon, um, Georges Simonon. Uh, I read a lot of, I really love Alan First at the moment. That's who I, that's who I'm loving with his spy thriller set in that period, 37 to 42 in Paris or around Paris. Um, and there's so much, so much Paris in his books and the the characters are all in love with that city and that makes me in love with his writing and I love Le Carre I've read all of the Bernie oh, yeah. Gunter series by yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've read all of the Bernie Gunter series by Philip Kerr uh in the middle of the night I tend to read Georgette Heyer romances when I've got both of my daughters and I'm trying to get them to sleep it keeps me awake um yeah, I read Australian crime writers like uh, Peter Temple. He's a phenomenal crime writer. But then I do read a lot of uh, nonfiction. I'm reading East West Street by Philippe Sands, Philippe Sands uh, at the moment, and a lot of a lot of history about the that period, World War One, interwar Europe, World War Two. Um, then I read like Australian writers like uh, Tara June Winch. I read, I read last year. Who else did? I mean, I just, I read a lot, a lot of literary fiction, you know, and I like Virginia Woolf and I tried to read more classics. I mean, I just, I just read everything I possibly can, to be I honest. I know the feeling. I like doing, mm. I like reading a variety of things myself. Mm. Oh, poetry. I've been reading more poetry. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. I should read more poetry because there's some really good stuff you out there. should read more poetry. Yeah. Well, I mean, things like the the Poetry Foundation and the Paris Review both have a daily 
uh, poem email. So I've also, so sometimes I don't sit down with a, a book of poetry, although, although um, things like Blood Axe books that do these great compendiums, being alive, staying alive, they're phenomenal for contemporary, short contemporary poetry. Um, but those daily emails means that you can just open your email and there's a poem there every day and some won't really resonate but others are just like how how do you know how do you know that's exactly what it feels like in that moment and they're like a little they're like a little gift yeah a little gift uh and i love it and i read a lot of um literary journals like the paris review there's an australian one called heat canadian one called brick mcsweeney's as well that have short fiction and essays and poems and reviews and that's also a really great way to see what other people are doing and what other people are writing because you know when you when you like a thing you can just go deep and read everything um but i i like i do love to go deep but i love to be broad as well i like to mix it up broad deep broad deep so yeah mm -hmm. what do i read what, what am i inspired by this one was inspired by the journey that this book sent me on you have really got um, me intrigued no. about that book. I got to read it now. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> I recommend it to everybody. Is this? A, I have two copies: a lending copy and a and a. I call it my Bible copy, the copy that doesn't leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> so I always have it available. It's a uh, nonfiction. So that's yeah, a non-circulating so, book. There. <laughs> this is this is a non-circulating book. The other one is actually in circulation. So. Uh, it's a yeah, it's nonfiction, and it's just very tender, witty, lyrical, and very personal because she knew these people. They were her grandmother's friends, her father's friends. So that makes it really a special, special, a special book. Mm. Fantastic! Sounds wonderful. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who'd like to have a writing career? Uh, keep reading and start writing yeah just start right yeah it's it sounds very simple um and in some ways it is and the complications come when you're trying to push the book from your idea through to uh, a manuscript you can shop around and then and then the process of publication but that act of writing is that conversation that we have with each other as readers is to join the conversation the reading conversation by creating your own text and putting it out there and in some ways that's quite straightforward you have you have something that you need to say and you write it down and then you put it out there and see what happens yeah and then as you go on your journey doing that you might find that you need to go one way or the other way I did a master's of creative writing and then a doctorate of creative arts because I loved that structure and because doing the degrees also gave me also gave me a legitimacy as I was starting out I can't I've got I've got homework to do I've got assignments to do I've got a supervisor to meet you know so and so I could create I could create a really strong practice as the the structure of study meant that that was that was something everybody could understand and so it, within that I could create a practice it wasn't just me 
being selfish. I need to write. You're not a writer, but it's like I need to study. Well, you are enrolled in a degree, so that was that helped me a lot. But other people are not, you know, are not helped by the structure of study. It's not what they want to do. It's not how they work. Um, or maybe they don't have time. Or they don't have the money. So it's, it's not the cheapest way to learn how to write. Uh, so however it works for you, but just keep reading and then join the conversation with your work. Yes. Good, mm. good advice there. Join the conversation. I like that. Um, <laughs> I'm really impressed <laughs> not only with your education, but um, the bibliography that you put together on your website, all those books, the, uh, oh, yeah. the fiction, the nonfiction, very nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what helped me. Um, uh, of course, there are more books, <laughs> more books that I've read that I could put up, but they were the most, they were the most helpful. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I'd love people to read those writers as well. Well, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, as I said, it's, it's part of the conversation. So if you're not reading, you're not really, you're not really part of what's going on. That's how I feel anyway. And that's how I feel with the, with the writing. It's not just, I have something to say. It's more that I have something to, to contribute to what other people are saying. That's great. That's exactly the right attitude, in my opinion. It's just, you know, thank you. get out there and, and talk about it and share and exchange stories. Great stuff. Mm. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish up? Anything you'd like to add? Oh, I was going to just add one thing in terms of people who are beginning their writing journey. I find the most useful skill that I have developed through my study and I was forced to develop it through my study is how to critique your own work. It is extremely difficult to learn how to edit and critique your own work. Is this good writing? Does this work? Does the character come off the page? And I'm still learning. I wouldn't say I, I've got it, but, but it's the skill that is most invaluable. And so however you want to create that skill, However you manage to do it, I would say that's the thing to hold on to because that's the thing that will push you forward as a writer. Uh, other things that I might want to say to to wrap up, um, I hope you read my book. <laughs> Very cool. And, and, and get into the 1920s and all the fabulous writers and all the fabulous women who made extraordinary lives and did amazing things in that time. I've mentioned a few in my books, but there are so many, and there are so many from countries that, like there are a lot from Britain and America, but I'm Australian and there were Australians there. There were New Zealanders there, South Africans, Vietnamese, you know, Algerians, Moroccans, Senegalese, every, I mean, phenomenal number of people there. So go and explore. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic history-wise and fiction-wise. So thank oh, you thank very, you. very much for being here today thank to talk you, about your work. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, and, lovely uh, to talk to you too. Thank you. Um, but before we go, I just want to remind everybody who's listening or watching to please leave a review if you enjoyed the show. 
Also, for what it's worth, my books are half off on Smashwords, all of them, until January 1st, 2023. May as well get used to saying that number, huh? 2023. Uh, including the Crime Cafe box set and short story anthology. Those two books are among the perks I offer on Patreon to my supporters. So check out our Patreon page, please. This is our final show for 2022. So um, our first guest for the new year will be Lynn Slaughter. Until then, happy holidays, happy new year, and happy reading.